welcome to Smarten Up, the show where we demystify the complex world of tax and provide practical business insights. I'm your host, Sally Preston. As a business owner, I know how frustrating it can be when it seems hard to access understandable information, particularly when the topic is as complex as the tax law. So in this podcast, we will explore topics to help you make smarter decisions when it comes to your business taxes, which will ultimately benefit your bottom line. Whether you are starting up in business or have been in business for years, this podcast aims to become an essential part of your financial toolkit. Welcome to Smarten Up, your tax and business podcast. My name is Sally Preston and I'll be your host. And today I have Laura with me, Laura Hanrahan. Is that how I say it? Correct. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from Hall and Wilcox, who's a special counsel there. And we're going to be talking today about succession planning for a self-managed super fund, which seems like a really specific topic. But in the private client space, we do find more and more private business owners and investors actually have a self-managed super fund. So highly relevant. Absolutely. It is a very important entity that many, many SMEs have today. So we're going to talk a little bit about succession planning for in a self-managed super fund and why that's so important. So I guess, you know, why is it important that an individual that has all their super in their own self-managed fund thinks about succession being death? That's what we're talking about essentially. Sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? Well, death, but also incapacity. Okay. So it won't be news to anybody. Everybody understands the importance of succession planning for individuals. We all know that we should have a will and an enduring power of attorney. But when you have an SMSF, those documents simply won't cut it. So if you have an SMSF and one of your members loses capacity, that's a problem because in order to be an SMSF, every member must be either an individual trustee or a director of the trustee company. Okay. So if you lose capacity, you can't be a trustee and you can no longer be a director. And likewise, if you're a member of an SMSF and you die, your death benefits don't automatically form part of your estate and your will won't determine where that benefit goes. Mm, and that's something that a lot of people might not be aware of. That's So what do they need to consider when thinking about this succession for their self-managed super fund? So it's really important that as part of the overall planning in an SMSF that when you're looking to do your succession, that we're reviewing the trust deed, can't do anything without understanding what the rules of the fund are. Uh, Obviously, the requirements of the superannuation law, the CIS Act and regulations. If there's a corporate trustee, then you've also got to look at the governing rules of that corporate trustee Mm -hmm. being its constitution. We need to think about the tax implications of the payment of the death benefits because there can be some real advantages in sending superannuation death benefits to particular people. Mm. Who who might that be? So tax dependents of a superannuation member are either their spouse or if they've got children, then it's children under 25 if they're studying or under 18. Okay. 
And the last thing we need to consider is transfer balance cap issues. So when a member of a self-managed fund dies, then their transfer balance cap dies with them. So their surviving spouse can't keep both their own transfer balance cap and receive the balance cap of a deceased member. So, So what would you do then? So we need to then think about how we deal with potentially rolling back some of the surviving spouse's pension back into accumulation so that they've got some room in their transfer balance cap to receive a a death benefit pension from the deceased spouse. Wow. Okay. Well, so that gets really complicated, basically. Yeah. And that's where you come in. (laughs) So what happens then if, say, instead of the spouse or the other person that's in the fund dying, they actually lose capacity. And what do you mean by when they, when you say lose capacity? So lose capacity, I guess it's a fluid term. You know, you don't just fall off a cliff and all of a sudden lose capacity and never regain it. You know, there might be reasons or periods of time where you've lost capacity. But in essence, the real difficulty around losing capacity is that your whole self-managed super fund is reliant on meeting the definition of a self-managed fund, which includes that requirement Mm. for a member to be either an individual trustee or a director. Ah. So if you've lost capacity for a period of time or permanently, then we need to put in place some plans so that you can continue or the fund can continue to meet that definition. And the only way that you can continue to meet that definition is by having an enduring power of attorney or rather the attorney appointed under an enduring power of attorney, have them step into the shoes of the incapacitated member as either a trustee or a director of the trustee company. Yeah, wow. Okay. And whilst that seems simple in theory, when you actually practically step that out, if you've appointed more than one attorney, how do we then make the decision about which one of those attorneys will be the trustee or the director? Mm. Because it can't be more than one. Yep. It's only one. And likewise, if you've got a fund with multiple members, then it means you've got other directors or other trustees. And are they going to cooperate and do whatever is necessary in order to appoint the attorney of that incapacitated member? Wow. So how do you then choose? Like, I mean, how do you appoint that attorney? And like, I guess there's a lot of paperwork and you've got to make the decision, but how does it? How do you make the decision? Well, if you've done the review of the trustee, if we're talking about individual trustees, or if you've done the review of the constitution, and you understand how that appointment process happens, then you can put in place in your planning. Mm. For example, we had a matter recently where in the enduring power of attorney, we had both the surviving spouse, but also adult children Ah. who were appointed jointly as the attorneys. And then in the enduring power of attorney document, we made specific rules around in which order they would be appointed. Okay. Oh, that makes it. Okay. So there is some control beyond the grave to a certain extent if you're organized enough. Exactly. It's all (laughs) about the planning. Yeah. Great. So you've mentioned the payment of death benefits. How do you ensure that death benefits go to where you want them to go? Yeah. Again, all about the planning. There's 
lots of discussion constantly about death benefits and that's probably because there's been lots of litigation because people haven't done the planning properly. There's probably in the last 15 or 20 years would have been, you know, close to probably 15 cases that have gone all the way to trial all about death benefits and where they're to be paid. And in hindsight, when you look at those judgments, it would have taken a simple binding death benefit nomination or, you know, just a simple thought to put in place a plan or even just to do those documents properly. And, you know, the tens of thousands or probably hundreds of thousands worth of legal legal fees. fees would have been completely avoided. So the member subject obviously always to the rules of the self-managed fund, but they have the ability during their lifetime to make a binding nomination. Yeah. And that's the same even for a normal retail fund, isn't it? People that make a binding death nomination about where that money goes to. Yes. It's just that self-managed super funds aren't under the same regulations. And so it's the actual trust deed rules which set out so you've got lots more flexibility to make those nominations you know specific to for example we're doing one at the moment where there are where there's business real property in the fund and that's going to only two of the children who are continuing in that business okay so the binding nomination of the self-managed fund can then be tailored so that the death benefit payment is not just a percentage, it's actually a transfer of an asset. Yeah, okay. Okay, great. So I guess what would be your top things for people to think about? So we've got got a business owner or individuals that have self-managed super funds that decided that's how they want to manage their super and they're thinking, you know, what are my top things I need to think about in that fund for my demise or incapacity? What would be your top tips? I think obviously considering all of those documents, so making sure that yes, you have a will, yes, you have an enduring power of attorney, but also thinking practically about it's a very different conversation about who you're appointing as your attorney. If you're thinking my attorney has to manage my bank account and pay my bills as opposed to my attorney also has to step into my shoes Mm. and manage my self-managed fund. So if you haven't already combined your personal estate planning with considerations around the succession of your SMSF, then that is fundamental. You can't Mm. do those things separately. Mm. So I think having a holistic approach to your succession planning, not just thinking that you need a will and power of attorney. And then, you know, once that is in place, Don't put it in the bottom drawer and tick the box and think, done that. (laughs) Tick. Good girl. (laughs) You need to continually be revisiting those Mm. documents as things change. Mm. You might sell your business, use the CGT small business. You've got a huge uplift in what's in your self-managed fund. You've retired. You're no longer using you know, you're no longer running the business, you're now in pension phase. All of those milestones Mm -hmm. are points which you should be going back to that succession planning Mm. and thinking, right, with my new circumstances, Mm. is what I did three years ago, five years ago, is that still 
valid mm. because let's face it, in superannuation world, things change all the time. Yes. Is it valid? But also, is it still appropriate? Mm. Does it still work with my circumstances? And so I thought you were going to go along the lines of save for one year you don't like one of your children. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's another consideration. I didn't hear you mention liking or not liking the kids at a certain point. That one's been really annoying. I need to go revisit those documents. Yeah. That's probably the time most people think about. Yes. And divorce and marriage. And divorce, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So don't just wait till you don't like a child or you get divorced or remarried. Yes. We visit it more often than not. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's not the first time I've heard someone go, I don't want that kid getting anything now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's been amazing. Is there anything else you want to icing on the cake or we're going to talk about other topics? I feel like there's some more we can talk about in another podcast with you. I think that you've got some depth of experience and some amazing, probably great client stories, of course not named, Yes, that you could share. Have you got one <laughs> horror thing where someone thought they'd done something and it ended up being a complete debacle? Yeah. <laughs> Always, always. Well, I guess drawing on one of the actual cases which I was involved in and, you know, the majority of these cases all involve blended families. Mm. So, again, maybe I need to throw back into my top tips is if you're going to blend your family, yes. just don't blend your self-managed super fund. Oh, yes. didn't even think about so, that. So, you know, if you're remarrying, Yep. For the second or third or fourth time, don't feel the necessity to necessarily bring in your new spouse as a member of the fund. So are you saying it's not the spouse, it's the kids? It's the Well, I'm just everything. saying it's the complexity yeah. of blending that self-managed fund because it would it will avoid Lots of, and the case that I'm referring to is a case of Naramon, and the deceased had four adult children from a first marriage. His second wife, they also had a child together who was a minor at the time, and their self managed super fund, this was pre transfer balance cap. So the deceased had the lion's share, which was about $3 million of his benefit, all in pension phase. And when he passed away, he left a binding death benefit nomination, but there was an argument about whether there's a reversionary pension. So a reversionary pension would mean that that pension just automatically reverts to the surviving spouse. Mm -hmm. So then there is no death benefit Mm. to be paid. And if there was a death benefit to be paid, then obviously there would then be an argument about where that should be paid mm. and whether the binding death benefit nomination was valid. So, yeah, another another top tip, don't blend your self-managed super fund. So I tell my current <laughs> husband that his super's not a thing. We're not, yeah. not doing that. Okay, good, good tip. Hey, Laura, you've been amazing and thank you for giving us a bit of an insight into the complexity of A, self-managed super funds and B, how to plan your demise slash incapacity, (laughs) depending on which one happens first. Really appreciate you coming and talking to us. No worries. And maybe next time we can get back to some tax and maybe we can talk about, well, the $3 million tax, but also how death benefits are taxed. Amazing. That would be brilliant. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Smarten Up, your tax and business podcast. My name's Sally Preston. Laura's been amazing and we will chat to you next time.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Smarten Up Tax and Business. I hope you found the information valuable as you navigate your entrepreneurial journey. If you did, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow business owners. Remember, what we've talked about today is not a substitute for getting formal advice from an accountant or lawyer that is more specific to your circumstances. But knowledge is power when it comes to getting your taxes right. And it can also save you a buttload of money too.